0: Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for coming to today's Friday Gallery Talk. My name is Caroline Elliott, manager of adult programs here at the Hirshhorn. Today we have Mark Cameron Boyd with us today to talk about Ellsworth Kelly's Red, Yellow, and Blue. Mark is an artist and adjunct professor of art theory at the Corcoran College of Art and Design where he's been since 2003, uh, and has taught art theory, drawing, painting, photography, film noir, and two D design. 2D design. As an artist, his artwork explores text as a language for painting, by using his original writings for his works. And his work has shown in many local and national exhibitions. Please note that today's talk will be recorded for podcast, and you can find this talk as well as previously recorded programs on our website hirschhorn.si.edu. Now, please help me to welcome Mark Cameron Boyd. Thank you. Thank you for coming, everyone. So I. Uh appreciate so much being able to talk about any work that's in the Hirshhorn. This is my third Friday Gallery talk in about the last five years. and I was very happy to be able to talk about this work because I like to learn as I'm teaching or talking about things that I gather information on. Having taught art theory at the Corcoran now for 10 years, Kelly, of course, is prominent in the history of painting, and so I often have talked to my students about his connection to the hard edge group, uh, the minimalist movement, and theories of, uh, you know, Greenberg, uh, flatness versus uh, three-dimensional illusion and so forth. But as I uh, prepared for this talk today, I did a little bit extra uh, research for Mr. Kelly's work, and I found this excellent essay by Benjamin Buchloh, you're familiar with him, he's an essayist, um, and he wrote this uh, essay that was, in, that was published in the catalog for the Matthew Marks Gallery. There was a show there that Kelly had in 2003, so Buchloh's essay is in that catalog. It's available online, um, and I read through this essay, and it hit on several topics that I thought you might be interested in addressing, topics that I can relate very specifically to, not only in my teaching in art theory, but also new, new ways of really sort of reassessing Kelly's work. So here we have a canvas that is a shaped canvas, and it's from 1968, and it's called Red, Yellow, Blue, Five. And uh, his investigation of primary colors began around the beginning of the 50s. Uh, Kelly's history is he was on the GI Bill uh, here in America for a while, then he had the opportunity to travel to Paris. And he was in Paris uh, in the late 40s. And in 1949, he happened into the Museum of Modern Art in Paris, and that's where uh, Buchloh's essay begins with a wonderful quote by Ellsworth Kelly himself. So this is what Kelly wrote in 1974, reflecting on his time in Paris. He says, quote, In October of 1949, at the Museum of Modern Art in Paris, I noticed the large windows between the paintings interested me more than the art exhibited. I made a drawing of the window and later in my studio, I made what I considered my first object Window, Museum of Modern Art, Paris. From then on, painting as I had known it was finished for me. The new works were to be painting slash objects, unsigned, anonymous. Everywhere I looked, everything I saw became something to be made, and it had to be made exactly as it was, with nothing added. It was a new freedom, There was no longer the need to compose. The subject was there, already made. And I could take from it everything. He goes on and he says, at that time I wrote, everything is beautiful, but that which man intentionally tries to make beautiful. So he's reacting to, he's reacting to the windows, and he begins his first uh, exploration of this idea of paintings as objects. And uh, I went online and I found that image and it's a wonderful image of, uh, it's a very elongated, uh, we, don't have a, have a, uh, we don't have it here in the collection, but it's an elongated painting, has a uh, rectangular at the top and underneath is a rectangle that has the bars of the windows. But it's so spare, so minimal, that you can see that it reflects what his newfound freedom was. Buchlo's, um essay, I would like to quote a couple of passages from, then we can discuss these topics. So in relation to what Kelly said that he felt in 1949, Buchlo says, quote, in 1949, painting appeared to Kelly as both always already defined and paradoxically as totally open between the historically available and the historically prohibited options for articulating aesthetic experience. So what I think he's getting at there is the fact that uh, Kelly coming at the very end of the 40s and of course the beginning of the 50s had lived through as a young man the entire New York school, right? Pollock, de Kooning, Klein, all of this very expressive, uh, of course, abstract expressionist work, action painting Kelly, being younger than this, sort of had this as his history to either, as it says, to either define and continue what, with the historically available or to pursue something else that would maybe historically prohibited options. Now, both of those are a paradox because you realize that if you followed along the path, the trajectory, then you would just become one of the many. And it is true that if you look at uh, abstract expressionist work, it starts to weaken and kind of fall apart in the 50s. And then, of course, by 59, 60, 61, we have the beginnings of pop. So something completely changes. But his, his idea about this as an object is something that I think is reflected by, uh, you know, what later we, we come to kind of lump him into this group called minimalism. Uh, Buchlo further states, As much as abstraction had deconstructed the dialectics of figure and ground, most of these adventures still took place within the prescribed rectangularity of the support, that is the support of the canvas. Conceiving of the object of painting and of color in particular as perpetually renewable and available resource of sensuous and substitutional gratification Kelly's disenchanted abstraction had to retreat into those forms of painting and relief that negate access to spatial or chromatic plenitude. So if you negate your access to spatiality, then you're really responding to notions of flatness. Clement Greenberg's very powerful influence all throughout this era of uh, action painting. And one of the things that, they, uh, that we learned from that or was stressed by Greenberg was this idea that paintings are flat. And the idea of illusion of third, third dimension is ridiculous and no longer important to painting. In other words, the modern style of painting would reflect the flatness. And here's where it gets very interesting because Kelly's interaction with painting becomes something completely new. He's dealing with flatness, but he's also dealing with the color in a way that wasn't appropriate or uh, was historically available, but he rejected the way that color was dealt with, with expressionist, abstract expressionist painters. In other words, the red here is not the red of Kandinsky. It's not the red that expresses, you know, anger, uh, passion, emotion. It's a very flat red, isn't it? It's almost like a uh, a color swatch at uh, Sherwin-Williams. And the beautiful yellow and the beautiful blue, and they have these wonderful sort of industrial colors. The idea of color being something that's completely neutral and that he could put into a canvas without feeling that he was involving any of his subjectivity. This is why he felt so liberated and free, you know, No more composition, no more expression of his subjectivity. He's free to see objects in the world and try to replicate them within his artwork. So I think that for this painting, for for me, it goes through a series of, you know, the idea of this, uh, quoting Buchlo again, the emancipated subjectivity. What does that mean? If, if you look at the history of painting and you realize that we had made a trajectory where painters were focusing on their inner subjective experience, their feeling became the most paramount, more than replicating the real world. This is emancipation, this is a freedom, right? And yet, for the painters of this era in uh, the 50s, going into this, Kelly stepped forward very bravely and said, no, this is is not what I'm gonna be painting. I'm not representing my feelings. I'm representing something much more cerebral and almost a conceptual idea of color, conceptual idea of painting. This idea of uh, dialectical opposites that uh, Buchloh talks about, you know, the idea that uh, we have to consider like the historically available ideas of color, not only Kandinsky, but also Malevich, Kasimir Malevich, the black square, suprematism. So for, for him, that's a very transcendental state of color, that color is so pure and refined and expresses all of these purities and, you know, idea of supreme element of art. And yet even that is rejected. It's not transcendental and it's not expressive. It's something, its own new, its own new trajectory. So how has he succeeded? I think that, uh, you know, we can look at the idea of uh, flatness. We can look at the ideas of Greenberg, yes. We can look at the ideas of the industrialized color, yes. But there's a new element of this, which I, uh, in doing the research for this, for the talk today, I kept thinking, I had um, an insight into the painting and I particularly wanted to see, surely there's some other uh, theory or thought out there that, you know, or maybe maybe my insight is, is completely, you know, off the wall, not to pun or anything, but, could not find any relationship to this idea. And the perception of this idea is that what we're looking at has this, what, an illusion, isn't it? It does have this kind of forced, strange perspective. If you stand where most of you are standing uh, or or sitting and you look at it head on, you have a sense that we're looking at a... uh, very slight perspective going off to a vanishing point there. So, is that an illusion? Is he doing something with the idea of a shape being just as illusory as perspective of the Renaissance? But then I thought, well, what if you were looking at the painting and then you saw this from here, but then you moved over to this corner. And it's nice that we do have no obstruction here because we can get completely into this corner and then the painting begins to take on some very architectural perception. And if, if I could beg your uh, assistance to just come with me here to this corner. Now, I I guess there's a lot of people that come and look at this painting on a given year, but I wonder how many of them actually come and look at it from this side. And to me, it it strikes me as being sort of a, a correction of perspective. So I'm correcting the perspective that the artist created for me. Did he want me to do that? Did he he, uh, intuitively understand that since he was working with these architectural um, phenomena like the museum uh, in Paris where he went and looked at the windows and said, the windows are more interesting than the art to me. And so then he begins this process 70 years ago, almost 70 years ago. And he goes into a relationship of architecture and a relationship of people in a room then there is a possibility that this does have some situational aspect that you would look at it and then move around it rather than just viewing it from one place. Now I know that that's not the the, uh, paramount focus of this artwork, but I think it's highly possible that it could could show that Kelly has much more um, influence and um, importance in the art history other than just being a minimalist or hard-edged painter. I think that his his vision was probably forward-thinking and that he was getting into areas that really didn't develop into site-specific work until the late 60s and late 70s. And Kelly himself, having done sculpture and wanted to have his works become objects, and letting his, uh, or, or being excited by the work within an architectural framework, certainly has you know, the, uh, the originality of, an, of a vision to take him into a world beyond just niche uh, artists within minimalism. So uh, I would uh, like to ask if any of you have any uh, insight or questions about any of this and, you know, opinions or uh, counter-opinions that you'd like to uh, engage, questions, or... And I can share the microphone with you if you...
1: Well, when, when he did the first painting in Paris, was that
0: color? No, it's, a, it's actually very... Uh, it's a gray tone in the upper, which is almost like a light gray, uh, very light gray. And then the lower is the same light gray ground, with black showing where the uh, structure of the windows, just like your standard sort of uh, cruciform of where the windows would, the uh, struts of the windows.
1: When you are talking about how flat they are, I don't find them flat. I mean, I think his choice of colors makes them not flat. So if his objective was to make them flat, I think he failed. But if he wants to make them to, to vibrate and to move against my eyes in different ways, then he was successful. Okay. I mean, this one, which is three-dimensional to our left, which we aren't talking about, but I think even if it weren't, would look three-dimensional because of the color choices. And you look at these, other than the one that's a monochromatic, that one stays pretty flat. But this one really moves around
0: a lot. And I I think you're correct in in, uh, your perception of Kelly, that he's less concerned about fitting in with a theory like flatness. It is true that his idea of objecthood, or the objects that he was excited by, would have a sense of making paintings that were at least going to be perceived as non-illusory. Now, of course, any color we can fall into, right? your point of going off in this way
1: without going off
0: into the wild blue yonder. I'm sorry, I that again. It was
1: almost like, you know, you're going off this this has also to me a very, I don't know, sky-like feeling. You are going off into the wild blue yonder as you <laughs>
0: You feel movement.
1: I feel movement.
0: It is also, uh, and it's excellent to mention these. This, this he terms a relief, which you know the uh, the historical perception of what a relief is. This is so far from what we would consider as a relief because it's really two panels, one of which is higher uh, or thicker support than the other, and they're set side by side. So there's a about a two inch raised area. And again, very minimal, black and white. This one is composed of three objects, three stretched canvases that sit abutted very nicely and tightly. This is a silly question. Is, There's are, no, no oh, such thing as a silly
1: you know, question. It looks as, you know, it's obviously three canvases. How are they attached? Are they attached permanently to make them stay like this? Or if, if I was to move this to another museum, do they come apart?
0: That is a technical question. Well, It's different than silly questions. There's no silly questions. Um, And I have not seen the back of this canvas. Maybe some of the uh, museum personnel would be able to ask or be able to answer that question for us. I'm sure that if you did move it, they would come apart because this is rather large to move through. And also, let's face it, pretty valuable. (laughs) I discovered uh, also uh, this morning, actually, looking online, his... uh, recent sale of one of the paintings from this era, 3.8 million at auction. So maybe we need a little more protection than this little cord here. Uh,
1: I think it'll be interesting for us to consider the whole room because I believe that Ellsworth Kelly himself picked up some of the works Uh, for the juxtaposition in this
0: particular room. So that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. And I think he doesn't do it only here, but for example, also at other museums. So when you have an opportunity of seeing Elspeth Kelly's work, don't look only in the work, look also at the setting. That's a wonderful observation. And these are, this is a, a wonderful room to be in. It's almost like the, uh, the Rothko room at the, at the Phillips where you've got a very nice area to sit and contemplate these works. This particular uh, painting here, the green triangle, even though we, we can see it's, it's not actually a triangle because it has a uh, curvature. This, a monochromatic painting, one color, and yet the shape itself suggests a relationship to the architecture of the room. And so that is a very, uh, I think, going back to what he wrote in 1949, you know, the, the excitement that he felt about works of art in a room, and yet the room was more attractive to him than the works of art. You know, the architecture inspired him. Now maybe this is something that only an artist would notice Uh, that he would see that there was some fascination about a window. But the curvature of this, and this has been written about, uh, some theorists had speculated that if you consider the uh, circle that this came out of, right, it's a slice, almost like a slice from a pizza pie, right? And if you look at the size of the pie, it's huge. So it, it really does relate well to this room, and these, these paintings, this one, the black and white relief, the orange on white here, and the triangle are fairly small-scaled paintings. Certainly not by our uh, own homes, but in, in the context of a museum gallery space, they aren't as huge as that one over there, and yet they, they really relate well to the site
1: on this one the most the colors really make it it's okay I'm gonna make it an Escher-esque I mean they keep moving back and forth what's what's in the front frontal plane and what's in, the, in what's receding behind it you would expect that the red would always be receding but it doesn't And So your eyes are very busy on what is not a very a two-color canvas
0: and the, and the fact that um, you know the relationship between figure and ground if you look at these This work here being a relief, a, quote unquote, white ground and a black ground staged side by side. Here you have the three individual panels. Here you have a single monochromatic tone, but here you do have a sense of a figure ground. Is this the figure on the orange ground or is the orange the figure? But I, I think that relationship, again, going back to the, the essay, you know, this had been sort of pushed out the door by this idea of one monochromatic color. You could look at uh, you know, the ideas of uh, flatness and two-dimensionality, the Greenbergian theories. And here, there's, there's mention of the fact, and we, we can't deny the fact that Kelly was also interested in the idea of chance and he spoke about finding these things in the world that he said were already made for him. There's, there's other uh, documentation and anecdotal uh, information about him drawing uh, strings and wires that he saw hanging from poles, trying to make drawings of the reflection of the, of the river Seine in Paris, drawing the reflection, not the river. And so here you wonder, what was the... Uh, the natural impetus for this. Was it part of a boat? Part of a, uh, a shadow? Are there painters in the audience? None? It's okay to admit it. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you a technical question, but...
1: As a, photographer, as a photographer, I can say that, you know, I had the idea of this being like a frame, uh, that he framed you know, just a little part of something, and I had that feeling, especially when you mentioned that they f- could you know, be part of mm-hmm. something bigger, that also has that.
0: Uh, that that's know. a very perceptive insight because of the idea of the cropping aspect of this. If you imagine what area of his vision did he crop yeah. to find this particular expression, this particular vision? That's that's good hearing from a because tar- the idea of cropping and uh, you know this movement, of course, is also relatable to visual, you know, the visuality of painting. Yeah.
1: And what is left out and what is.
0: You know, exactly, what is not shown is often more important because you succinctly know what is shown. Yeah, I Oh, how wonderful! That's a wonderful idea. The uh, cliched. Painter's thumb up. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. let yeah. Sorry. Thank you all for coming. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.